In this short video, Michael Ellis talks about teaching a dog to cap or control its behavior when it's in drive. Michael explains why learning how to cap a dog's drive is just as important for people that are training pet dogs as people that train competition dogs or working dogs. And then at the end of the video, Michael talks about the relationship between using toys as rewards in obedience versus food for rewards in obedience and how some dogs prefer one or the other and how some dogs mature from starting off with food to ending up with preferring toy rewards. So capping is um, where you teach the dog to go from an active state to a what we call cap state where they take energy and they're excited and you to have them put that energy into a stationary behavior of some kind, right? So if I'm teasing my dog with a toy and he's chasing it around, and I hold it out there and he leaps through the air and I go whoop and he misses it and lands over there and he comes, turns around like he's going to come flying back at me to get his toy. And I say sit and he goes and sits and I say yes and let him come grab his toy. That's capping. He's actively chasing a toy, he's all excited and then I go sit or down and he goes and puts all that energy into a contained obedience behavior. So in protection, we see it all the time. I have my dog at the line, in the line barking. Sit. He sits, quiet. Boom, and then I let him go bite, right? I let him unload his energy into something he wants. So capping is like an interruption in an excited, stimulated dog that, where they put that energy into an obedience behavior, a contained obedience behavior. And we use it a lot when we're playing with the dog to teach them self-control, right? So at first, we, get, we are playing and it's very calm and they learned out and bite and out and play or whatever, out and chase their ball or those things. Then I'm gonna deliberately get the dog a little excited and then ask them to do something before they get the reward that they want because I'm controlling access. So if they don't do it, I just go, nope, you don't get this, you wanna try that again? Right, so I can deliberately get them a little overexcited and then ask them to put that energy into a behavior. And this does a couple of things for us in, as we go along. One is, the dog learns to put that energy into the behavior, so the behaviors tend to get more intense. So when I ask them to sit, they tend to sit really fast because they want to slam their butt down and get that reward. So they take that energy that they've built up and they put it into the obedience behavior. So they tend to do the be obedience behaviors with lots of energy and speed, which is a, for a competitive trainer is a good thing, right? For a person on the street, they could care less, right? But, but for a competitive trainer, that's a good thing. The other byproduct, though, is that the dog learns to contain themselves as they get more and more stimulated. So that later on, when they get stimulated in more real-world situations, and I want to ask them to sit or down or heal away from something that's exciting, I have much better success rate because they've already learned that idea, that concept of something you want out there, really excited, have to do obedience to get to it kind of idea. And so that makes my transition to real-world obedience with a dog that's excited much easier. So later on, if I can, for instance, if I can throw a ball and my dog can be chasing the ball and I can say down and he'll drop in the middle of chasing the ball, right, which I can set up exercise to create that, that's a capped exercise. Later on, if my dog's, I'm going to have much more luck stopping my dog chasing a cat when I say down than somebody that had not gone through that process would, right? And so for us as, as uh, trainers that, that aren't necessarily interested in competitive obedience, the byproduct is your dog is better, at, you're better able to control your dog when they get excited. So we artificially create circumstances where we get the dog excited and control them so that in real world situations where they get excited, we have a better chance of controlling them.
So for, even for this is and this is what I say to pet dog trainers and pet dog people that say like I don't care about how fast my dog sits, for Christ's sake, who cares, right? The benefits are again the toy play allows us to exercise our dog and the capping exercises allow our dog to learn self-control when they're excited. So now your dog comes over and he's jumping up and down because his best friend comes over and he wants to smash everybody at the door and he's leaping up and down like oh we got a visitor we got a visitor and I go sit my dog goes boom and sits, right? Because I taught him. He's to cap himself when he gets excited. And so then if he doesn't, and I give him a little correction, he goes, okay, I know what that is, wham. But it's not like the, fr the first time he hears it is in that situation, and he has no idea what you're talking about. He's never had to contain himself in that when he's excited. And now I'm correcting him, and he's going, what? What's wrong with you? I don't get this. And, or he associates it with the other person, and you get superstitious behavior, all the other stuff we talked about. So by using toys... Uh, for the average person, that their, 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 their value for a competitive trainer is obvious, right? You make all kinds of drive for these things, and then you can use that drive as an obedience reward. You can speed up behaviors. You can make more intensity in behaviors. You can make more duration in behaviors because you have a really high-value reward, obvious. But for everybody else, it's a great way of exercising your dog with you in an interactive way. So you guys exercise together so that the dog is interacting with you while they're expending energy and learning self-control later on as we, as we add the rules to it, to the games of playing. Um, it depends on the dog, really. So normally I'm not going to use a toy in the obedience until my dog has some understanding of the behavior, meaning I've shown some fluency in the behavior. They're doing it relatively well without me having to help them anymore physically. Um, and then I have some basic things established in my play relationship. So I don't use a toy in obedience until I have three basic things established. One is the dog has to want the toy. So they have to take the toy with really good energy. They have to grab it right away, bite it, tug it, whatever. But they have to be into it. The second is they have to let go of it if I ask them to let go. So they have to have an out. And the third is they have to bring it back to me if I let them have it or throw it for them. So if I don't have those three things, then I don't use the toys in obedience reward because it's just going to muddy your whole session. So if they don't want it enough, of course, it's no good as an obedience reward. <laughs> uh, if they won't let go of it, it's no good. I get one rep, they get it, and now I have a fight to get it back from them. So whatever they learned from that one rep is now erased by the conflict between us as I get the toy back. And if they won't bring it back to me, it's the same thing. If it slips out of my hand or they get it, now I've got to chase them down and reel them in and get it back from them. And so if whatever they learned in that one good rep has now just been erased as well. So I kind of iron those things out separately. So normally I'm using food to teach the behaviors, working on my play relationship. When my play re relationship hits a certain point, I'll gradually replace the food with a toy for a, more, for a dog that's more toy motivated. But not every dog is. There are going to be dogs out there who for their life will be more motivated by food than toys. And so that with dogs, I'll stay with food. That'll, that'll be the reward of choice for their life. Doesn't mean I won't try to play with them, but I'll still I'll give them what they want most as their reward. Um, but for most of our working dogs, they hit a spot. They're usually more food motivated when they're little, and it gradually switches until as they get older and older, they're more toy motivated than food motivated. And some can switch back and forth, but almost all of them have a preference, one way or the other. Um, uh, and you'll get some dogs that once you start using a toy in a session, you won't be able to go back and use food. Like once they've had the toy once, they'll spit food right out of your mouth. Like, nope, <laughs> give me the toy. And you'll get other dogs that, that are fine. They shift back and forth, no problem. And with puppies, it's frequently once you've given them a piece of food, you can't get them to play. 
like while they're little, their, their food drive tends to override their play drive because they don't have enough repetitions in the prey behavior to be really into the play. And so uh, you give them a couple pieces of food and then try to get them to chase a toy, and they're like, no, no, where's the food, <laughs> right? But that tends to, to switch as they, they get older. Uh, and with most, especially when you start dealing with working lines of working breeds, usually by the time they're done, their, their toy drive overrides their food drive. Our Learberg website has close to 300 free streaming videos. If you're new to our newsletter, you may want to visit the library of these videos. We also have a large selection of dog training DVDs.